So I think there'd be a lot of people who were just standing maybe at the edge and going, you know, I actually survived okay without going to church. So what does that mean? I don't know that churches have spent enough time, and I'll say that for myself too, thinking about what that actually means, that people have reason to ask this question, why do I actually go to church, and what's the point of it? Welcome to the Renovari Podcast, a place for honest and unhurried conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and our guest today is pastor and longtime Renovari ministry team member, Kai Nelson. Last year, we had our first pastor's retreat. The place was picturesque. We were in a castle nestled in the safety of a wooded rocky cove. I remember standing in the back of a meeting leaning over to Monty, our events coordinator, saying, look, look, isn't that beautiful? He gently smiled. I know, I know. And what was it we saw? What we saw nearly brought us both to tears. We saw pastors, strangers, embracing one another, worshiping, laughing, crying, being open and honest. To see a community of folks come together who previously didn't know one another, it was quite remarkable. Many of us are feeling lost, frustrated, unclear about the state of the church. I get it. I do. Yet in the midst of uncertain turbulence, deep underwater, good things are happening. It's pressing some important questions and conversations. And in surprising ways, I find I'm often encouraged. At the event, one of our speakers, Kai Nielsen, said some really helpful things. And as we prepare for this year's upcoming retreat, I wanted to check in with him and explore what he's been working on. What follows is a sober and honest conversation about one pastor's take on the current state of things. And what he's doing and what we can do to respond well. I spoke with Kai from his church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Kai, I'm curious where you see us at as a church today. You know, it's a it's a huge question. I'll kind of work it from my vantage point. So I've been in a pastoral ministry for over 30 years and I uh, made a switch uh, about four years ago to come to a new congregation, and uh, and then we hit COVID. And so I was working into a new place, coming in with new eyes, and then everything shut down and went sideways for, you know, a number of months. And I think that one of the things that was really important for me was um, – conversation I had my, with my dad, who was also a pastor. And he, I was asking him, you know, how do we speak to people in all these changing times? And he came back at me. He said, well, what do you think you have to say to anybody? And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he, Thanks, he dad. said, appreciate that one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and I said, um, yeah, people are, are wanting me to, you know, say something in these important and changing times. 
And he said, I wonder if the better tact is to go, what kind of questions are people asking? You know, mm. what are the questions they're asking about themselves, about their lives, about their connection with the faith community that they've not, that this has kind of prompted them to be able to ask in different ways. You know, a lot of people in our particular community didn't step into the building for more than a year. And so for the most part, they continued to live and they had a family and they had jobs and they worked and uh, it was very hard in some very important uh, ways and significant ways, but it was also, they made it. And so I think a lot of people were starting to ask, so what's, what's the point of, of a faith community? And, mm -hmm. uh, and so I think there'd be a lot of people who were just standing maybe at the edge and going, you know, I actually survived okay without going to church. So what does that mean? Right. I don't know that churches have spent enough time, and I, I'll say that for myself too, thinking about what that actually means, that people have got a reason to ask this question, why do I actually go to church, and what's the point of it? Do you have an answer? The big answer is, from my vantage point, it allows us a, a particular vision about how to, to be and to live in the world. And it's a, it's a vision that's different and other than what they'll experience in a lot of the ways that they experience life. I was told recently by someone that it used to be that people came to church to have their values shaped, and then they tried to live their values out in the world. But now with all of the, the noise and the, the communications that are available for people, what's happening is that their, their minds are shaped by their particular you know, news sources or particular storylines that they're living into. And then what they come to church for is so that the church will validate what they're already thinking. <laughs> give, give me a and good echo a, chamber. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's a completely different way to understand the, the nature of the church. So we're, we're supposed to validate what they're already experiencing in their worlds versus helping them understand what, what would be a vision that Jesus might have of the world and their lives that they can be invited into. I think particularly for us, there were some big issues around when George Floyd was killed in the Twin Cities. I'm a pastor in the Twin Cities. And, uh, you know, those things quickly became polarizing. And I moved to the point of having to, be, to sort of back up and say, you know what, we cannot begin to go further with one another if we're going to start with what our particular opinion is right now. Can we walk back and just ask each other, what do we think Jesus came to help us imagine about this world? Uh, and what do we think Jesus invited us to participate in? And if we can come to some sense of that, then that will hopefully lead us, and it may not lead us to exactly the same place. It will hopefully lead us to a place where we say, okay, then how are we going to live that out in community through conflict, past division. And um, so it just, it was very important for me to just keep in my own mind backing up and saying, you know what, let's, we have to start with our kind of unique Jesus story, identify what that is as clearly as we can. Because if we start with our own particular narrative and what we're most drawn to right now, we may never be able to walk closely with one another. I mean, a lot of people have not returned to yes. the church. What do you see are some of the opportunities 
that the church has in the coming years? A phrase that I keep using is Jesus didn't come to help us build bigger and better churches. Jesus came to help us imagine and co-create a better world. Hmm. And so to go to take people back into the first question of um, what's the, what's the good life look like? Mm-hmm. How is that defined for you? Um, how is that shaped by what you understand Jesus is all about? And then how can we live that in community? Um, because I, I think people, I, people can get a lot of good information on podcasts and watching, you know, there's now so much available online that you would never have to, if you just purely wanted content right. to be a part of a in-person community. I think it's important for us to have that access for people, but we don't learn to live well with one another through a screen. And I think that that's for me, the ultimate piece, how can we live well and better with one another? And that really has to be done in proximity around tables in conversation through conflict and our willingness to say, okay, we're a world apart here, but we're committed to at least making a journey forward and seeing where it might go. I don't think you can do that at a distance. No, no. Yeah. Do you see that happening? People learning to live well with one another? Yeah. Conflict well. <laughs> oh, depending on what day you're talking to me, Nate. Um, <laughs> I think with all the stuff that's happening in our culture, um, violence is uh, it's just heart wrenching for me. Um, disc- the discourse that we have with one another just seems so uh, penetrating and bitter and hostile. And and how do we beca- begin to do that? I. I've had to set, uh, reset my, my sight lines in some ways and my sight lines aren't, how is everything going to be better? And it's come down to a very sort of small sense of what can I do with the people here? How can we start to live with one another in a way that might be more reflective of who we think Jesus is reflecting a God of compassion and love and justice. And so it's kept me from saying, I'm going to change the whole world to saying, I better do my own work first. And that's been a critical piece in this time. And it's been a hard piece in this time. And then beyond that, you'll say, okay, how does that work reflect the nature of God in community? Nate, I'd say some days I'm very uh, optimistic because that's the kind of who I am. Uh, but this, candidly, this last two and a half, three years, uh, has been the hardest for me in ministry to be able to say that because it's, it feels like many, many relationships. It's not just one or two, it's many relationships. We're dealing with just hard stuff and seeing, we see the world differently. So how do we imagine uh, walking together if it feels like we're so far apart? I can't help, but if I step back a little bit, I mean, in a sense, it's heartbreaking to see division and the kind of loss of moral authority of the church and our culture that's been brewing for many years. Um, and, you know, as we in char, we continue to move towards a post-Christian country culture, I can't help but step back a little and, and smile 
because it's stripping away so many things that needed to be stripped away and, and people's leaving and kind of going, what's the point of all this becomes a mirror to what we're doing or not doing. And do we really help uh, people move into more of abundant life, you know? And yeah. So in one sense of like historically or sociologically step back and go, Oh, something good's happening, but it's quite awful to live through. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. And I, I think there's also something that has to, to do with um, being very mindful of stepping out of my own life and my own world to remember that um, Christian society supposedly wasn't very helpful for a lot of people in our world. Yeah, I mean, if you look across ethnicities, uh, if you look across issues of gender, I mean, there, there were people who did not have a place in a Christian world. And so I think it's, for me, it's a, a very much, a, we're at a, a real disjuncture in the sense of, all right, let's not too sentimentalize that world that we thought was there because we probably thought it was there for people like me, but we're going to have to think differently. I think about uh, community and more broadly and who's, who's invited to the table and who's, who can participate freely. So that's for me, a big piece of soul work that I'm, that I'm struggling with right now. I see this stuff is to me is quite beautiful. Like that when, when everything's going well, we don't, we don't have to ask these questions that are growth. I mean, this is formation questions, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what about you, Nate? What do you think? Where's the church at? And what's the, <laughs> how can we be the church? Oh, goodness. Goodness. It's not an answer I like, but it's the only thing that I can see. And it does tie a little with what you're saying, but um, it just starts with us in our little corners of influence and in the little kingdoms God has given us and to hold to the goodness and grace of God that Jesus revealed um, and, and love others well and listen well and, and not get too worked up about the loss of quote unquote normal or power or um, but just be faithful in our little little corners. It's not much of an answer, but it, it gives me something to do. <laughs> well, it is, you know, the thing that it's done for me is it's really sent me deeply back into just rereading the scriptures at what were those pivot points where the people of Israel and then the early Christian community had to redefine who they were and what was happening at the time and, and, what was that process like? And it was a grind. And I can't, you know, it seems like, you know, when you just read the scriptures, you go, oh, you know, they came out thinking differently about their God and what a, what a great gift. I can't imagine all of the internal work and the struggle that it went through for, you know, the, the point of exile, which I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, and you know, the, the new church making its way into a Gentile world. I mean, what do we, what do we leave behind so that we can encounter more authentically the world that has, that's just longing for something more meaningful and hopeful and a way to envision their life differently. And they're not as connected to our practices and history and tradition as we are. You know? so that's been a very, it's been an important internal conversation for me too. That's helpful. I think a lot of people feel in, in a sort of exile 
And one of the things that interests me, uh, again, I'm back to history and kind of sociologically speaking, that when people go through pivot points in history, they don't know how it's going to turn out. And there's a real, you know, I'm thinking of like World War II, you know, they didn't know whether or not, you know, you'd have Nazis, you know, on the shore of the U.S., whatnot. But, but we can see how it turned. But in exile, in the midst of that confusion, the loss, the pain, the grief, what, what do we do when we find ourselves in exile? Yeah, I was just thinking about this. Um, I, I think as a community of faith, we need to develop um, our capacity to enter people's grief and sadness and acknowledge it and maybe even develop some rituals around it where we can actually uh, allow people to express it and live into it. I preached not long ago on, uh, you know, crossing over the Jordan and getting to the, to the other side. And, you know, what a great celebration as they're putting down those stones on the other side of the, the Jordan River 12, one for each of the tribes. I, then I started imagining to myself, gosh, I bet there was this massive outbreak of joy and I can't believe we're here after all this time in, in Egypt. And now we went through the wilderness. Now we're here. And then I just imagined someone like from the back, you know, raising their hand <laughs> and saying, yeah, but you know, I, I really wish my grandpa would have seen this, but he didn't make it here. And I wish, you know, my mom and dad who didn't make it through the wilderness would have been able to see this time. And so in, in this, in this great celebration, there has to be ways for us in, in any movement, I think, to just acknowledge what's the grief of it. I mean, what's the sadness and loss that also played a part in us being to, at the place where we are now. And I think it's harder to do when, as you said, we don't know what, like, what's that church going to look like, you know, 10, 20 years from now, given all the stuff we are going through and have been through, uh, we don't know. We're just living in this space at this time. But I think if we can give ourselves uh, at least an opportunity to grieve and to mourn the stuff that didn't make the journey with us, and sometimes those are people, sometimes those are rituals, sometimes that's the community that I used to have here, but is no longer with us, and then be able to place ourselves in, in the moment, let's say, and go, God is yet here in this place. Grief is frightening for many people. It takes a level of courage to be honest about our losses. It's it surprised me how difficult that can be for us. Tangibly, in the midst of exile, how do we respond? What's life-giving? Well, maybe that's the question to, to ask people. What is life-giving for you? And I think people know what that is uh, more than they acknowledge. And I remember my spiritual directing a number of years ago saying that same thing to me. You know, what's life-giving? And I, I couldn't, at the moment, I couldn't quite put my fingers on it and it took me a while but uh 
I got back and I just articulated a few very specific things like walking around in a, uh, in an art shop without my phone on so that I couldn't be buzzed, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, cause then you just, it's creating space. So I think part of it is just, well, how are we going to create that active living space where we can acknowledge what's going on, um, but also be together in it. And so mm -hmm. there's gotta be some rituals or some grouping where we find people that are willing to make that journey with us. Um, it's being intentional. Uh, I read a book recently on awe, A-W-E, and all the studies they're doing about people who experience awe. And the thing cross-culture, they said, that, that gives people the deepest sense of awe and wonder is hearing stories of courage and generosity and strength from other people. And I thought, there is something. How do we allow ourselves to to do that kind of work with one another along the way. I think, you know, Jeremiah, the prophet of exile, I love when he said, you know, well, while we're here, we're just going to build houses. We're going to plant gardens and we're going to work for the welfare of the city because mm. wherever we find ourselves, there's just, and just the process of living sometimes is enough. I think sometimes we make God's work, uh, what shall we say? Too spiritual, <laughs> and, and uh, God's work in exile might be that that you get up and you're you're productive in in the work that you do, and you're honoring of the relationships that you have, and every once in a while you kind of peel off to yourself and you say, "Okay, God, well, well, what could be next?" And you have to wait. I mean, I think that's the the hardest part of any exile imagery for me is that they didn't know. And that they were in this position of spiritual and physical waiting for what that next piece is going to be. But waiting doesn't mean being inactive. It right. It can also mean still living and then being open in the process. It's really been disruptive slash helpful for me to acknowledge how important um, who we become in the darkness, yeah. how we respond. And because we always have those choices to hide away or retreat to anger or victim, uh, but to show up and respond well in spite of the waiting. Things aren't the way we want. But in that, we get to be, you know, I, I can't help but think something gets forged deep within us that we get yeah. to carry on into eternity. I think we're um, we're heading into our uh, Lenten season and um, we're in the midst of it. And uh, we're going to live with the question, what did you expect? Because I think sometimes our expectations set us up for uh, being disappointed and for despair and for, you know, we expected our family relationships to be easier than they are, but sometimes they're not. We expected the world to not be as conflicted, but it isn't, but it is, you know? And so um, we expected if God was going to appear and be as authentically loving and just and forgiving and compassionate as Jesus was, we expected the world would receive him well, and they didn't. <laughs> they killed him, you know? And so what did, did living into those expectations, I think, and acknowledging what's realistic or what's really not for a particular time might be a helpful discipline 
for the day. What can I expect of myself? We're living uh, in a pretty raw space as a family right now. My mother-in-law just died. And, you know, last night we were, my wife and I were sitting around and uh, both just said, I've got no energy for the things that we've been asked to do today, you know? And, and we think that somehow we should be able to bounce back and get back at it. And it's, it's hard, you know, it just has sapped the energy out of us and it's kind of the exhausting last days. And, um, so just to be honest with what the expectations are and to be willing to live into a, a not, <laughs> a not comfortable space for a certain time, you know, we hope and trust it's not going to stay at that place. You know, if so, we will be seeking some professional help quickly, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it, it may, it's going to linger. But well, Marin, is it, you're living in reality and trying to do so with a level of grace and kindness. Yeah. And in, in offering that to yourselves and each other, you're, you're honoring, uh, the loss and, yeah. and, and her life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about that, that, that's kind of a thread that, that makes its way through the whole conversation we've had. We started with where's the church right now? And part of what the church is experiencing is this deep sense of loss of people that were used to be sitting in the pew next to us of, uh, influence, you know, if that's a, a goal or not that we should have of, uh, respect, you know, there's just a ton of stuff of the way that it used to be versus the way it maybe should be as we go forward, uh, what we're holding on to versus what we need to might have to release. Those are all issues around loss. Uh, the exile is about loss. What did we lose in this? You know, there's returning to Jerusalem, returning to the promised land after Egypt, you know, uh, resurrection, they're all gains, but they're all gains that make their way through loss. Yeah. In a way, the, there's a new goodness and sweetness coming out of loss, right? Like that. Yeah. Um, there's a richness that, that life can hold when we honest with ourselves. Well, maybe, and, maybe, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, maybe. I mean, I think, you know, my mind's wandering here too. It's just good. You asked the question about what's, what's the church's response or what does the church have to offer these days? That core theological issue of death and resurrection that we have to hold in that paradox because that's where the life comes and <laughs> to not just, you know, brush over it and run to resurrection because that's what we want to do because we don't want the pain of the death and the loss, but it's only resurrection. And we only experience maybe the, the deep transforming power of it. When we acknowledge that we've been through whatever that loss is. And so that it, for me, you know, Lent and Easter will be a time where we can actually lean into this, hopefully this promise in a very new way, because we're, helping people name the loss, helping people live into, uh, the, un, you know, the expectations that have not been met and then being able to say, and yet, mm. you know, mm, and yet, <laughs> um, and that's, 
or we live as if, you know, I mean, there's all those words in the scriptures that are just such short phrases, but they represent the pivot from the reality that we're dealing with to the possibility of God. Do you have a word for pastors in this season? <sighs> Hang in there. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a shallow way or, or in a way that, that would be manipulative because for some it's getting so hard and, and the only good and right thing for their own soul is to say for the period of time I'm done. Um, or I'm going to, I'm going to serve elsewhere in this world. And there are plenty of beautiful ways that we can serve outside of, you know, a, a pastoral role. Um, I, I would say just from my own experience, uh, find community, uh, and it just has to be a few people. A spiritual director has been very helpful for me. Community got a, outside of your congregation? Or yes. Within? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's great to develop deep and intimate community in your congregation. That's the way that we model incarnational ministry. That's who I am. That's what I like to do. But there is something about the people who are willing to, you know, go back to my dad's first image, ask me, what are the questions that you're asking of yourself these days? Mm -hmm. And being willing to be real honest with those, because sometimes those questions could be, could freak out congregations. <laughs> Maybe the responsible thing is to be in other spaces for those. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. I might be responding to the question in a particular moment or day, like, I don't know if I believe this whole thing. It's hard to get up in front of a congregation on a Sunday morning and say that. <laughs> Welcome to worship. I'm not quite sure if I believe this, but we're going to go for it today. Um, but hey, we got lots of cool programs and uh, we need exactly. your help with the, this ministry. Exactly. Exactly. So there's got to be got to be those places where you you have a safe space to go. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I think mining the small moments of awe and wonder is a spiritual discipline that um, I'm, I'm starting to work more intentionally on because I, I, I believe that they're there. And if God is present in all places and all times and all experiences, uh, part of our role is to say how and where, and can I tune my, you know, uh, can I, focus my eyes in such a way that I can see it and seeing it then gives me the possibility of believing that it's, if it's there in those small pieces, it might possibly be there in larger pieces. Cultivating hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Kai, thank you so much for today and your grief. I mean, there's, there's a tenderness that, that I pick up and it, quite helpful for us. Thank you. Well, thank you for being a cultivator of hope <laughs> in conversation. No, you do it beautifully. So thank you, Nate. And that was Kai Nelson. I'll be with Kai and others again this year's pastor's retreat. I recently heard of folks sponsoring their pastor to be at the event. Mm, I like that. They give the gift of space. So often when formation is integrated into a church community, it starts with the heart of leadership. And it starts with slowing down. Kai's written a really helpful book titled Renew Your Life, Discovering the Wellspring of God's Energy. 
I've also done a couple of other interviews with Kai, and we'll put links to those in the show notes. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast. We are grateful for all of you who help make this work possible. You can support Renovare and this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find a collection of thoughtfully curated articles, podcasts, webinars, online classes, as well as information on events in our institute on our website, renovare.org. This podcast is produced by Brian Morcon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Until next time, be well, friends, be well.